guideline is happy. Direct contrast to his opposite number, both in his world and uh, both, both in this world and in the next. That's his turn. I, I don't have it open and I don't know where we're all going. Oh, nice try. A similar approach is needed with regard to the pride that sometimes infects scholars of note. Once such pride has been somewhat humbled by an initial broad blow, here too is a need for follow-up. A judicious analysis is what will always affect, well, uh, what, that will allow those affected to separate the good from the bad that coexists in the scholarly world. Such an analysis will make it clear that whatever matters most in Torah learning is that one recall that the Torah is God's wisdom and will, and that one constantly keep in mind the giver of the Torah. Elder Hasidim, who lived in the Tetz at the time, had passed down an account of the episode that took place when the Altar Rebbe was a very young man. It involved a fellow townsman so distinguished that his colleagues, who included the eminent Rebbe Abraham Zalman of Hashemkovitz, would refer to him in adulation as Reb Elisha, the Gaon of the Gaoni. That was, that was a compliment. Just it once happened that this scholar found a certain interpretation written by Rashi on a passage in Tractate Aruvin highly problematic. All the other local scholars struggled to resolve the difficulty, ordering, uh, offering different explanations. One of them, the Alter Rebbe, also suggested a possible resolution, which most of the other scholars accepted. Now, Rebbe Elisha was the great uncle of Rebbe Leib Siegel, or Segal, I'm not really sure. Siegel? Yeah, it could be Segal. The Alter Rebbe's father-in-law. When Rebbe Leib, the richest man in the test, was considering the merits of marrying off his daughter to the brilliant 14-year-old son of Rebbe Baruch, ooh, the Alter Rebbe's last name, Remember, this is a new one for me. Weiss Kvaliker from Leosna. Rebelisha had been one of those chosen to test the Alter Rebbe's scholarship. Even some years earlier, the Alter Rebbe had attracted attention. At that time, Rebarak was living in the estate which he had received as his dowry. Some three the Viorsts. I'm not really sure, is that like a distance? It's like square feet. Square feet. Oh, it's not from Leosna? Oh, no, no, that, that word's not even coming up in the dictionary. He, his gifted six-year-old son was once sitting in his father's orchard with his brother, Mordecai, who at the time was five years old. As they studied Kumash together, they came to the verse. These are the descendants of Seir, the Korites, the dwellers of the land. Rashi explains that they are so described because they were experts in agriculture. By tasting the soil, they could tell which crops should be planted in each spot. The younger Mordecai, Mordecai found this hard to understand. Not all soil tastes the same. Don't know. The next line is in, and they plunge their spoons. <laughs> the Alter Rebbe explained that there are ways of knowing what goes on beneath the surface. For example, he told his brother, water flowing underground can be heard. Under the mound of white stones over there, there, are, there flows a powerful stream of water. The stream eventually broke through the mound and formed a pool, which provided very beneficial to the farmers of the surrounding villages when a cattle plague broke out a few years later. From that time on, they called this estate in Russian the White Fountain, which was also a translation of the name in Yiddish by which Rebarach became known. At any rate, especially after this, 
or after he became Reblade's um, son-in-law, the altar had attracted the admiring attention of the scholars around him, including, of course, Rebelisha, until they supported their altar understanding of that problematic statement of Rashi. Rebelisha understood the passage in Aruvin otherwise than Rashi. Sounds really intense. This, he would would explain, was quite legitimate for is the crown of Torah not offered like a gift in the wilderness to whoever is found worthy of it? Rashi was an authoritative commentator on the Torah in his generation. And he, Reb Eliyah, the saintly Goan, as he would refer to himself, was an authoritative commentator on the Torah in his generation. Do you think he had bodyguards? Also living in Vitebs at the time was one of the Baal Shem Tov's Hasidim, Rebbe Ephraim, a brother of the learned Reb Moshe, and an uncle of Rebbe Nachamendel of Vitebs, the revered author of Kriya Aretz. Are you following along with all these people? It will be a test of who is related to who at the end of this. Rebbe Ephraim supported himself by working as a gardener together with his sons, and was respected in the learned circles of the town for his sharp and encyclopedic scholarship in both Nigla and Kabbalah. Those widely known to be close with the Baal Shem Tov, even though even those who were antagonistic to the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov liked him for his truthfulness. It was in 5521-1761, the first year after the Baal Shem Tov had passed away, the Rebbe Lisha presented his complaint to Rebbe Ephraim. Why did people reject his interpretation of the passage in Aruvin because it differed from Rashi's? Does not Tosfos offer different from the interpretation of Rashi? Does not the Ravid offer different interpretations of Rambam? Yet when he, Rebelisha, proposed an interpretation that differed from Rashi, no one was willing to accept it. Why not? Are there not 70 faces to Torah? All right, get ready. Always a man of truth. Rebbe Fryman answered straightforwardly. It is written, and behold, there was a scroll written front and back. Just as there is a face, an inner dimension, so too there is a back, a posterior perspective. The different, the different commentaries and arguments and legal postulates of Rashi and Tosfos, of the Rambam and the Raiva, are all part of the 70 faces of the Torah. Your arguments and explanations and legal postulations are part of the 70 rearmost facets of Torah. That's good. It's not like Kamimius Kutsonius. It's like posterior postulations of that Rambam. That, that's the best diss so far. When one studies Torah with Bittel, facing one's own ego in the process, one innovates insights that are part of the 70 faces of Torah. When, however, one studies with egotism and arrogance, the novel concepts one develops are part of the 70 rearmost facets of the Torah. And on that note, I'm done. Mic drop. All right, so moral of the story, don't be an ass. Did you get my text?